Welcome to Arena Athletes, your home for MTG Arena strategy. Step inside the digital arena with Travis Sowers and David Seville. Brought to you by Face to Face Games. You're listening to Arena Athletes number 123, Vivian Las Vegas. My name is David Seville, and I have Travis Sowers on the line with me again this week. How are you, sir? I am handsome, David. How are you? As is tradition, it seems like this summer, I am checking my watch about 12 and a half hours till my vacation starts. Are you going anywhere interesting this time? Yeah, I'm going to GP Vegas this time. So uh, listeners of the podcast might have heard me talk about it in... On, on Twitter or in stream. Um, but uh, yeah, going to GP Vegas, going down tomorrow, hanging out at the GP Thursday, Friday, at least, maybe a little bit on Saturday. And then uh, my lovely wife is going to join me for a couple of days down there. We're going to see the sights, take in a show, be good times. Nice, dude. I hope you guys have a good time down there and maybe get to meet some fans. Yeah, I've had a couple of people reach out um, saying that they're going to be in GP Vegas. So try to do some side drafts and uh, I'm not playing the main event. Um, didn't really want to sink all of that time and I've never actually drafted Modern Horizons, so I don't know anything about it. Um, but there's plenty of on-demand drafts. I want to do, there is a three-round scheduled M20 Team Trios event that I'm looking to build a team for. I think I, I think I got one or two people maybe interested in that one, so if I can round up the folks for that, I will do that. And then there's a couple of cubes going around uh, for after-hours drafting, so I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Yeah, I, I think there will be no shortage of fun times to be had. Yeah. So uh, so if you're coming to GP Vegas and you want to meet up, go for a drink, do a draft, give me a pack to crack. I don't care whatever you want to do. Just uh, hit or me up. Both, or I both, I presume, right? Hit me up on Twitter. Shoot me a DM with your mis- with your information. And uh, like I said, I've got all day Thursday, all day Friday to, uh, to be a magic degenerate. So they can just slide on into your DMs, what you're saying. It, that's exactly what I'm saying. What about you? What okay. you got going on this week? Uh, for me, it's more streaming. They've actually released a new format on MTG Arena. I'm not sure if you've heard of it before, but it, uh, it's you, apparently you crack packs and pick a card out of them and then pass it to the next person. Um, Li- limited? Am I pronouncing that right? Limit? Limited? Dra- draft? I think it's a draft simulator with bots, but as it is, it actually turns out uh, to be pretty fun. Uh, I hit Mythic in Constructed this week uh, with Esper uh, Modified List, which we will chat about some, because I think I've got a pretty good build with if you're looking to absolutely crush Mythic. Uh, longtime listener and awesome dude Scott Vance hit Mythic with Mono Red. So like you're able to do it however you want, but I do like this list quite a bit. I also found another one to talk about. But like I said, when I when I hit Mythic, my goal next was to hit Mythic and Limited. Uh, so I started doing that. I've played the format for two days, uh, meaning I'm basically an expert on it now. Uh, but it's been a lot of fun, and that's what I've been up to. I am what you can expect is just streaming more limited this week and then casting the fandom event this week. So what is the Travis Emulin Sowers M20 uh, fun rating on a scale of one to 10? I mean, two days in, it feels like an eight, uh, which means we'll probably stabilize it like a 7.5 or something, or maybe even a 6.5 if we're super unlucky, but I've really enjoyed it so far. Uh, What's the traveling pilgrim Galapagos or something? The three five, 
No. Yeah. Yeah, the three five that searches for a land. Yeah, that guy. I got to activate him three times before my opponent could do anything about it. Um, and people were like, you can't do that. That mana base won't work. That was a 7-0 deck, my friend. Um, and it was uh, super fun. It was super fun. Um, it, uh, the only real issue was like, am I going to mill myself out? Because I didn't get any of the Loaming Shamans, which I think is my favorite card in the set. Um, and to be fair, your prep course helped me a lot. Like, you're just talking me through a couple of those decks and what they were looking to do. Got me prepared to jump in there and, and kind of be head and shoulders above everybody else. So, like, it was only 15 minutes that you were talking about it, but it was enough to, plus, you know, draft knowledge. Like, I am pretty good at draft. But put all that together, and it was, like, it was very easy to jump right on in. Yeah, and I can't even take much credit for that. That's just putting together, like, watching and consuming content across the internet and then drafting a few times and seeing the decks across the table from me right so like i've there's a couple of decks in there that i've never drafted there's a lot of things that i haven't done in the format so that's that's good though um i think for a core set it is one of the most fun core sets that i've had experience drafting for sure um there's just all sorts of neat little combos you can do there's synergies there's full-on deck archetypes you can kind of draft whatever you want and, and get there in a lot of cases so um surprising to me that loaming shaman is your favorite card in the set um but not not too surprising it feels like a card to me that you would have said in the set review it's like yeah i want my three drops to be better than this and then at the end of the format you're like oh my god dovin's acuity is so good these decks are amazing that's kind of what it feels like to me you know what's funny is i actually called out that this would be a card i'd like a lot when i was talking to ethan um like that was one card that i thought was going to be pretty decent and he was fighting me on just a little bit. Uh, and then it was fun two weeks later. I'm deep in the throes of standard, but I can see him tweeting a picture of Loaming Shaman saying, this is all I want to be doing. I was like, I told you. Because um, so, I was like, if if this is a card that I'm interested in drafting, then this will be a fun format. And I really hope it's a fun format. Yeah. And what you, you I saw you got to play Moldervine, Moldervine Reclamation today. What was your verdict oh. on that one? Uh, well, I was splashing that in my Galapagos deck, um, and the only real challenge was not milling myself out with it because of the aforementioned lack of shamans, uh, but it's really good. It's so good. It's like the best thing ever, and I, I that I immediately dismissed in our set review. I'm like, this is garbage, and then when you told me, like, hey, this is good, I was like, I, I'm still not buying it, but I'm going to have to try it. And holy smokes, was it amazing. Yeah, it's pretty easy to get uh, enough activations off that to make that worth at least a card. So um, well, good for and you. I, I've had Sanitarium Skeleton in all of my black decks, and I've been happy about it. Like, what a world we live in. That's that's a weird one to me, too, because I feel the exact same way. And Bone Splinters, and you're like, man, I just want a Bone Splinters in this deck. Yeah. W words Travis Semulence Hours has never said in his life. Never said that. It's like M20 is just upside down. It's weird. I wish I had uh, played it more uh, and focused a little less on standard. Um, I wish we had pod drafting on Arena because I would have drafted it a ton and I would have understood a lot of why these things are the way that they are instead of just like smiling and nodding when people are talking about it. So, but it's worth it. I, I do still think that like, I mean, I've said this a million times. If we could draft with people, Arena is exactly where I want to be. If we could at least have best of three drafting, even if it was with bots, that would be pretty good too. I still don't quite understand why best of three Phantom Sealed isn't available as a ranked format. I've got my fingers crossed for that one day. Um, but like as it goes, in 
without grinding it out, I think I just played too much. That said, I have developed an understanding of an interest in standard, which I just didn't have before. So now it's like this game that I used to only play one way. Now there's this whole other game I get to play too. Because like, I'm excited to talk about the tweaks I made to the Esper deck and the Aristocrats deck I played some too on the way to Mythic. I mean, unless you want to talk about my planning for Team Trio's M20 sealed... Uh, maybe we should just jump right into talking about standard because it's really not much to talk about left like aside from you know me drafting a gp vegas here so unless you still play magic online in which case cons flashback drafts are this week is it actual cons or cons where they messed with the packs no it cons won the the vote bracket so they had like a like a six what is it 16 or 32 draft formats that were head-to-head in a voting bracket and cons came out on top, and I regret selling out of Magic Online now. You know, I've got enough that I could go back and draft, but I'm so close. Like, I, what's my actual rank now if I go to the profile? I'm gold tier two in limited. I'm going to need to spend some time to get that. Yeah, you you do you, you do you. Cons will be there another time, I'm sure. If it was Hour of Devastation, I'd, I would just be like, I'll get Mythic next month, like, because I'm just doing this until it goes away. But, and cons is close to that, but not quite there. So are you shooting for a top 1,200 then to get into the the next Mythic Qualifier? Is that your goal, or are you just looking at double Mythic just for, for kicks? That is my goal, and I doubt that there are 1,200 people that will get Mythic and Limited. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's pretty expensive and time-consuming and difficult to do. Uh, whereas I hit you know Mythic and Constructed, and I was like 99%. So the, the goal is to hit double Mythic for bragging rights, and so I understand standard, right? Like it feels good to be casting those tournaments and actually know what I'm talking about. Because the first couple of weeks that I did it, I, I kind of didn't understand how the decks worked or like what the lines were. And I found myself in the booth with Alexander Hain. And that was that was a great spot for me to be in because I could be like, yo, Alex, what is what's going on here? What am I watching? And he could explain it. But now I'm in a position where I can walk in and I don't think I have the level of competency Alex does, but I can at least look at a deck list and understand what its strategy and goal is and also kind of know what cards matter in particular matchups, which feels good both to be there and like the tournament that I'm qualifying for is going to be a standard tournament. Like like it or not, standard is the future of arena. So I kind of just forced myself to embrace it. And as it turns out, some of the decks are actually kind of fun. I mean, there's a lot of interesting matchups. The meta is always shifting. It seems like every week there's a new top deck in the format. It seems like everybody that wins a uh, or goes to Mythic posts it, and this is the best deck in the format. Everything's the best deck in the format. I'm a little <laughs> yeah. tired of that. We're going to talk about that another week, um, I think. But um, one of the interesting things was, is remember they changed the Mythic Qualifier weekends to be uh, 10 wins to finish instead of 8 Mm-hmm. And there was a, a little bit of an uproar. There's some conversations on Twitter and on Reddit about how painful that would have been. Um, I, I stumbled across a post somewhere on the internet. I don't remember exactly where. Maybe it was on Reddit. And it broke down the theoretical uh, records to make day two of this event. And despite, you know, finishing needing or needing 10 wins to finish the event without getting the maximum number of losses... Eight and two seem to be a pretty safe record to get into day two, even with the increased number of players that there's going to be in the next version of this. So right now, I think they take a thousand from each season for each format, and next season they're doing twelve hundred. Um, but eight and two is, you know, 
I mean, obviously, 10 and 1 is like, you know, you think about it, it's like, that's really tough to do. But 8 and 2 seems so much easier, given that, you know, almost everybody that makes day 2 of a GP is like 7 and 2 or better. So 8 and 2 doesn't seem that unattainable for, you know, players that maybe just play not casually, but certainly not like pro level competitively. So I find it interesting that despite lengthening the event, that there still seems to be a a very attainable record to get into day two. And I don't know what your take is on that one. Like, how would you feel going into an event like this? Are you, do you you have confidence in an event like this? Are you like just looking to catch lightning in a bucket, lightning in a bottle and, (laughs) um, and just like, you know, hope to get lucky and spike it. Or do you think you can actually prepare and, and really have a serious shot at making like an eight and two record? So here's the thing. I, to an extent, had my head up my ass about arena tournaments, and I think I've got that turned around. I have made eight and two records because I've made day two of multiple GPs. I've top eighted a GP. So, like, I have the experience of having done that. My issue was I wanted more competitive Magic tournaments, and my response to wanting that was not playing in the one the last month, and that doesn't make any sense. I would like more tournaments. I would like more that are easier to qualify for. That's not what I have. So the way I'm looking at it from my perspective is there are three GPs on arena per year. That's it. Mm -hmm. And if I can actually spike those, the rewards are better for me than if I went to a physical GP and played in it. Because I don't really want to go to the paper pro tour. I want to play on the digital pro tour. Uh, the Mythic Championship, like that's that's for me. So I'm just looking at it as there's three GPs a year that I get to go to and stream them while hanging out with, you know, all of my friends in chat. And if I, you know, don't make it, I'm not stranded in some city I didn't really want to have a vacation in. If I need to use the bathroom, there's never a line and there's always good food. So that's my perspective on it now. There's also other tournament series popping up and those are things I could look into, but I... I've always felt like WotC runs a good tournament, and they do. They're just not running as many of them as I'd like. Uh, and maybe they'll do more in the future. But, like, that's my perspective now. It will still be incredibly difficult to do. And you say eight and two, but it's not like I can lose the first two rounds and then win the next eight, right? right. Like, it drops me. Yep. So, like, I, I literally, there was a GP that I made day two of where I lost the first two rounds. And, like, you, you're just not going to be able to do that here. Um so, you know, be be that as it may, it's a little bit more difficult than making day two of a GP. But considering I've done that, you know, multiple times, and I'm sure some of our listeners have or have been close, right? Like, let's say you were one away from making day two of a GP. You could do this and you could play it at your own pace. You could play two games, go walk the dog, play three games, have lunch, watch a movie, come back, play the last five. Like, you've got all day. Uh, I love that flexibility. So while my complaint is I would like more of this, like once I dug down to what it actually is, I'm like, they're not asking that much for me to qualify for it. The journey to qualify for it will be fun. And if I make it, it'll be all right. And if I don't, it'll be all right too. Uh, now they did say we were going to get unique card backs for each of them. Um, huh, and, and and by unique, Come you on. mean the exact same card with a, a letter changed or the Roman numeral changed? <laughs> yeah. So I have the mythic qualifier cards that have a Roman numeral three on them. And I've played against people that have them with the Roman numeral four. Um, but, you know, you do what you got to do. Yeah. Uh, to be fair, the basic lands that we're getting for these uh, uh, plantation events have been amazing. Like They have, with one exception, and I'm going to step up on my little step, and I'm going to complain for a minute. 
They gave us the lands from Ammon Cat Block, but not the full art ones with bolus horns on them. Those are my favorite full art lands. What what do I got to do, man? You got to buy them in the store next patch, I bet. I will totally do that. T- please shut up and take my money. I have enjoyed all of these little side events, and it was fun kind of going through them and testing with them and figuring out the best deck to play in them, like the... The, the band one, I ended up just playing the default Merfolk deck for a little bit until somebody was like, hey, play Jun Dinosaurs. It's like, oh, yeah, that's really smart. The only one I've really disliked was the Treasure event. That was kind of awful, but all the other ones have actually been fun. I'm still firmly in the boat of the ones that I like the most are the ones that don't change the rules in-game. Yeah, same. Like, it changes the rules outside of the game when it comes to deck building. Don't change the rules inside the game. Uh, when it comes to actually playing and interacting, because a lot of the cards are not designed for that, and, and that's yeah. just that's just how it is. Um, I find those not as fun, but I enjoyed um, this one in particular. I liked because I, I felt like it was flexing my uh, deck construction muscles, which is not something that I use often. I'm not I'm not a brewer. I don't usually go out and you know start jamming four ofs in decks and and playing around with it and testing it. And I didn't have a lot of time to do this, so or sorry when I, when I was playing this the format hadn't been out that long so there's not a lot of people that had deck lists posted so i was kind of backed into a corner i'm like okay i'm gonna put something together um and it, i thought it was really good i put a deck together played a few matches tweaked a few things came back and i really enjoyed that i wish that there would have been more incentive to play this a little bit more and again that's because yeah. you know you, you put together a deck you tweak it a little bit and all of a sudden you hit your six wins and there's no incentive to play anymore Aside from just playing Magic, which is fine. Some people like that. Some people don't. I like to get that little, move that little dial on my quest indicator. And this would have been a really good thing to do, you know, to to get some kind of small reward or whatever. But other than that, I really enjoyed it. Um, I put together just a red-green kind of stompy deck. Putting together the cards that didn't rotate out. um, And playing cards that would go in the Rekindling Phoenix spot and, and in the spots of the cards that are rotating out. And you find little little things that maybe people don't play in this deck. So I was playing Biogenic Ooze in this deck, and I thought that was really cool and got a couple of auto-scoops. You know, just jam a bunch of Charging Monster Swords in there because they're huge and people scoop to those things, even though it's rotating out. You know, things like that you can experiment with, and you can play things that are bad against the meta decks because the meta decks don't exist. And I thought that was really cool. It's a good lead-in to, um, to rotation and what a rotation looks like when you're constructing a deck. Mm-hmm, for sure. And, you know... To be fair, the fact that you could actually win this one with the default Merfolk deck, um, I think is good for new players because it means they can come in and get their daily wins and get their quests complete. And I really think that's been the real shining point of all of these events is that you could go in there and do your daily quests with any deck. Uh, You didn't have to have a tier one deck to go do them. So it's a great place for a person that's getting into the game to kind of learn how to play. I think it's done a good job of capturing a similar feel to what the Brawl in Hearthstone did. And I like that. I think that's something the game needs. It kind of also reminds me of the early days of Arena, where we didn't have full sets and and a bunch of wild cards sitting around. We're kind of just playing with whatever we had in our pile. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's kind of what it felt like to me, because you're you're looking at cards you don't play with normally. You're not spending wild cards on this event because it's the event goes away in a couple of days. So I really like that. I, I like that limited... Not limited from like a, a game mode perspective, but limited in the decisions that you can make and the cards that you have available to you. I find that restriction breeds creativity in a lot of cases. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They've been fun. Um, so speaking of rotation, 
you wanted to talk about uh, rotation strategies and maybe how to approach the coming rotation in, I guess it's like a month and a little bit, which is kind of crazy to think about that M20 is almost done. Yeah, it's going to be quick. It's going to be quick. So we have a rotation happening where Dominaria and older cards are no longer going to be legal. So that's Ixalan, Dominaria, M19 are all gone. All of your favorite Teferi's. And rivals, too. Your favorite Teferi is gone. Uh, You know, Hostage Taker's gone. Carnage Tyrant's gone, even though he hasn't really been around for a while. Um, All sorts of cards that are staples right now. Um, The whole Vampire deck is just gone, basically. Yeah. Um, how how are you going to re- approach rotation, given that you're probably going to want to hit the ground running when it comes to standard right off the bat? So, in in centuries past, one of the the best things you can do initially when a rotation happens, th- there's two ways to look at this. One is from how do I win in a new format, and that's what I'll cover first. And two is how do I prepare for rotation. So, as far as how to win in a new format. Typically, when when a new format first comes out, aggressive decks are a very good place to start uh, because control decks need to be refined and tuned and tweaked, and we'll get to that Esper update in a little bit, and I'll tell you how we've done that. But when a new format comes out, people don't know what they're supposed to be answering, so they end up playing a lot of diverse answers, sometimes expensive ones, sometimes focused on planeswalkers or big threats. And if you can just play two ones for one and run them over, you're usually in a good spot. So mono red, mono white, your traditional aggressive colors are usually a very good place to start when you're building that first deck for ladder play. Preparing for it, it, it's different. Like if you're right now and thinking, who cares? I'll just draft and play a couple games, you know, the, 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 the weekly quest things until the new set comes out, no problem. But if you got to get mythic now, you don't have a perfect deck for it. And you're like, I don't want to spend wild cards crafting this Esper deck. The right thing to do is to find a deck that doesn't have many rotating cards in it. And I have found one for you, and it actually works. People have hit Mythic with it, and I even played a few games with it. So I think those are the two things that I would point out, is like, have a deck that's not necessarily rotation-proof, but close enough that some version of it will still be playable to get you started if the budget is a concern. And if the budget isn't a concern and you're just looking to like get your, your first few wins before the deck list come out, just build the best version of mono red you can think of or mono white you can think of when the new format comes out. We'll have to see what's in it before we know which of those two will be better. Um, but I, I think you'll be able to figure that out as you start to see the spoilers and card lists. I started to look at decks that only had a couple of pieces rotating and seeing if there were cards that could fill in that role. So for mm-hmm. example, with the standard shakeup, I was doing like a red green monster and just finding cards to replace rekindling Phoenix and, and the other cards that were going to rotate out. And in some cases you can, right. Um, I, I want to, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I think there's a couple of cards rotating out of Boros feather. Am I, am I correct on that one? Or am I wrong on that one? Is Boros feather just a completely rotation proof deck? I don't have that list in front of me, so I'm not entirely sure. I know it was using the removal spell from Ixalan that dealt two damage to your creature and four to something else. That's the one that I was thinking of. That's the one, um, that's kind of the big one, because that is an an enable for you and a removal spell for for your opponent. So what you're kind of looking for in a spot like that is a card to, to replace that. Everything else is pretty much hanging around except the lands, and the lands are easy to replace because we'll get some kind of fast land or... Uh, ping like not ping land uh, the 
the the ones that the, the shores the Yavimaya shores the ones that do like one damage painlands have them painlands that's what I'm, what I'm looking for like we're going to get something there but you can look for decks like that where like a lot of the, those pieces are interchangeable as long as the pieces you're changing out aren't significantly worse and that's kind of what you said like when it comes to control is like a control deck usually looks like a control deck no matter what format you're in it's just a matter of okay what's what's my hard counter spell what's where's my card advantage coming from what planeswalkers am I running but like generally speaking a lot of those parts are interchangeable. It's just which ones are like super important to the deck and which ones can kind of be replaced by anything. We talked about this last week about, you know, we're going to lose the five, the five drop to fairy, but we can put an Ugin in the place or something like that. And it might just work out just fine, but that's where those tweaks come from. There's decks obviously that are just going to go away completely like scape shift. Scape shift would just not be a deck anymore. The, the field decks might be a deck where mm-hmm. we've seen, um, What's the legendary that copies Enter the Battlefield effects? Yarok. Yeah, we've seen Yarok Field and Yarok Shift. Like, decks like that could still exist, but obviously Scape Shift as a whole is basically just gone. Same with Nexus. Nexus is just gone. So it's kind of a matter of, like, if you're looking for on a budget, is finding that happy medium between a deck you might already have and can tweak um, versus a deck that you shouldn't be investing in because it's going to be gone. And we don't even know what Historic is going to look like. Is it going to be like a... Is there going to be a ranked historic? Is there going to be like historic tournaments? Like who knows? So I wouldn't worry about that. Um, I think the, my biggest problem with rotation is just lands. I I think that's a big one to me because like, you know, if you're missing lands in a deck and you invested them, obviously they're no good to you after rotation and you can probably just put in basics or you can probably just put in guild gates or something along those lines and just temporarily play these worst lands to see if you like the deck and then go in and construct the lands if you want to play it for the next month. At least that's what I've been doing, and that's what I had to do in the the standard shakeup. I guess I was missing rootbound crags or something like that, and I'm like, I'm not gonna construct these if they're gonna rotate. I'll just put a guildgate in here and see if it if it does the same thing. So there's a few different strategies you can do there, but I'm a big fan of trying to find a deck that's not gonna change that much. I guess one other thing you can do though is you can find a deck that is poorly positioned in the meta that doesn't rotate and then play it again. So you know, this is a bad example, but let's say blue green flash was like a tier two, tier two and a half deck or something like that. And you're like, man, I really like this deck. It's mostly rotation proof, but it's really bad in the meta. Is it going to get better in the next meta? And you can kind of think about that. We obviously don't know what's going to come out in the next set, but you know, it's rotating and you can see if that deck has, you know, potential to be a a top deck in the next meta after things rotate out. Yeah, and you can keep an eye out for cards in the new set that may do something like that, because what you're describing is essentially what happened for vampires. Like, the deck was certainly Tier 2, maybe even Tier 3, and then Knight of the Ebon Legion and Soren came out of the new set and was like, boom, this is now a meta deck. So like something like, you know, there are ramp decks that are playing some elemental cards, but I don't think we've really seen a deck like red-green elementals start to take off. Like, that's just not something you're bumping into. But it's entirely possible that the next set will have a few more enablers for a strategy like that. And if you see those spoiled, you might you can maybe get a step ahead and start building something like that if you're a brewer. Um, Dave's point about the lands is an excellent one. Between the comes into play tapped gain of life lands and guild lands, if you've done any drafts, open any packs, you should be able to get together four of those to form a reasonable proxy for the other lands. Because, again, we should have some duel in this new set. I don't know what it's going to look like or what it's going to be, but there'll probably be a rare in the land slot. 
because uh, you are losing your buddy lands. We'll still have shocks. So you can craft your shocks and be fine. Those are not rotating at this point. And then save your wild cards and use those tap duels as you try out new decks and proxy up cards for it. Uh, and then when you find the one that you like and you're like, this is what I'm going to play for the next month, if, uh, again, if budget's a concern, then you can use the wild cards and invest them. I think that's an excellent tip. I, I kind of don't even like build or uh, constructing the uh, the temples because, like, I think I think there's going to be lands to replace the temples unless we get the uh, the other colors of temples that we're missing in the next set. In which case, then we'll have all all ten of them, and we'll have to wait another three months to get another set of rare lands. But you know, if if we're going to see pain lands, let's say just for example, in the next set. You know, I think the temples are not going to get played. I think they're just going to end up like as a bulk bin rare, like they did kind of in the last format, if I remember correctly. There was only like a very small window in which the temples were actually played a lot, and then they kind of just disappeared as the better lands came out. So um, I might hold off on crafting those temples, pick them up in draft packs or whatever, and use those. But you know, toss a guild gate or two in there, and if you really need the temples, um, I construct them for the for the next month for your mythic grind. But I wouldn't I wouldn't sweat too much about those right now. I wouldn't either. We've seen them in a couple lists, and they're not certainly not bad, but we need to see what the new mana bases look like. And, you know, it could be that, like, black-green is the best deck in the format. We don't know. But the closest you can get is a deck, if you're going to play now, is a deck that doesn't have many cards that are rotating. Okay. Um, so you have changes to your Esper deck, quote-unquote mm-hmm. the best deck in the format. Um, what's, <laughs> what does the best deck in the format look like this week? The the best deck in the format is always up to whoever's playing it, but I, I did make some changes that I thought were, were pretty key and helped me with that push to Mythic. And one was I finally replaced Cast Down with Legion's End, and my god, is it so much better. Uh, it takes care of a lot of the problem cards from Vampire. It has Game Against Scape Shift. It's killing most of the things I was killing with Cast Down anyway. It sucks that it is, it's a sorcery, but 3-mana Teferi doesn't care. He's like, cast it whenever you want to, man. It'll be fine. And the fact that I was often tapping out for it anyway was just irrelevant. So we've got three Legions in in the main deck, and I'm not cutting them very often. I brought a Cry of the Carnarium to the main because of the prevalence of vampire decks, I've still got four Wraths, Kaya's Wraths, in the main. So, like, that hasn't changed. But just having one of these sneak in from the sideboard to the main deck has been helpful. And it's usually at least able to get me a one-for-one against most other creature decks, which is not bad. Even the Rampy deck, sometimes you'll be able to get a couple Elves, and you're pretty happy about that. Uh, And the other kind of giant change for me is I'm playing one Liliana Dreadhorde General main. Uh, this gives me a way to produce creatures, which is kind of nifty in case I actually need to attack Planeswalkers and do stuff. It can get rid of problem creatures. Uh, you mentioned Cartage Tyrants. Haven't seen a lot of them, but there's a couple out there and she can kill it. Uh, as well as Avanto, uh, Danto Vanguards if I've cleared everything else. Uh, the ultimate is threatening and it makes infinite blockers and draws you cards. It's kind of everything you could want in a control shell. And it pseudo protects me from things like Unmoored Ego. Uh, and as many cards as you're getting through in this deck with the four Narsets, uh, four Big Teferis, four Little Teferis, and the two Search for Ascantas, like, if you need this to show up in a game, you can probably find it. Uh, the the last major change for me was I've seen a lot of people playing the Sifka Special, which the, was basically the a legendary reboot. Special, is that the one we're talking about? 
Yeah, it was a reboot of a deck Matt Nass played at a fandom event and nearly timed himself out with, uh, which was enough for me to be like, if Matt Nass can be paying full attention and almost time out with this, I, there's, I'm not even going to touch this. Uh, but it does revolve on the graveyard. So I've been running a couple ley lines of bo- the void in the sideboard because uh, you just you land that and there's really nothing they can do about it. They have to they have to get it to fairy and bounce it before they can even start playing uh, while I'm doing all of my other stuff. Uh, so like I, I'm I'm prepared for that. I think people will stop playing that as they realize that they're not Matt Nass and they can't pull this off, or you know Sif Kostrowski, like in any of that crew that was playing it. Um, but if if they're still jamming that, you can play ley lines as a counter. Are there other decks that the the black ley line is any good against? I'm trying to think of like the reanimator decks aren't really a thing, although they might be after rotation. That's the only thing that I can think of that it would actually do something against. Correct, although uh, some people have suggested that the white ley line might even be better than the black one because it gives you hexproof, and the kill condition in most of those decks is to mill you out with targeted mills, so you could conceivably bring that in against burn as well, uh, which is really fun when they cast the 2-1 wizard that pings and they have to burn themselves. Um, <laughs> that, that always makes me happy. So like that's a possibility too. You could even consider something like Rule of Law, uh, which is in the new core set where players can only cast one spell per turn because they're really not able to get you with that. And I'm, I'm not really sure who else that would hose because I, I think Esper's pretty happy playing one spell per turn because um, our spells are, are pretty big and powerful effects. Interesting. Interesting. We need... What's that card from Theros that turns enchantments into creatures? Starfield of Nyx? No. Is that the one? No, there's something that does that. I was going to say, maybe we can get some kind of reprint of... There's got to, there, I thought there was a, a global enchantment that turned all your enchantments into creatures based on their com- converted mana cost. I think there's a modern deck based on it. And and the, the goal of the deck, in modern anyway, if I remember correctly, is to just play all of your ley lines, dump them all on turn one, and then find this card that turns your enchantments into creatures and kill your opponent, like, turn zero. I'm trying to remember what that is. Maybe it's not a modern deck, maybe it's a legacy deck. Anyway, we need something like that because then we can just play oops all ley lines <laughs> and not have to worry about losing the game because we don't have a win condition. That sounds like a lot of fun to me. I I mean, I think so. I'm curious though because I want to see I want to see ley lines in sideboards because I think it would be cool. That's not an era of magic that I lived through that I got to play and I don't really play modern. So I want to see mm-hmm. how that is. Maybe it sucks. Maybe people are be like, oh, dude, this is bad. You don't want this. But I'm when I saw the ley lines being printed, especially the ley line of the void being reprinted, I'm like, I want to see this play in standard because I think it would be a cool experience. Yeah, well, I, I mean, it's in my Esper deck. And if people stop playing that deck, I may take it out because like it's devoting sideboard slots to something that, like you mentioned, it's not really good against anybody else. Um, but yeah, it's pretty darn good against them. Ashiok isn't quite good enough because you, you've got to bring it down and then kind of cross your fingers that they don't interact with it, and they can. Uh, so, like, that was my thinking there. So, speaking of best decks in Standard, um, I've been playing uh, a Bant Ramp deck that uh, Menguchi put out on Twitter, and I think somebody played it in the fandom event last week. You have to correct me if I'm wrong on that one. Erlish played it. Is that what it was? So did you actually see what the the results of that were? Because I've been having a lot of fun with this deck, but like everything, it's the best deck in standard. And I'm not really sure if it has legs, to be honest. I don't think he made the top eight with that list, but I can actually check on this now. Okay. So 
this is just like a, a ramp deck ramping to to crises. The, the piece that I like about it though is it's playing voracious hydras, which seems mm-hmm. to have really good game against uh, you know decks like vampires and things like that. But um, I'm I'm not entirely sold on it. But this could be a deck that is interesting. Um, I think it's mostly rotation proof, with the exception of elves, and then obviously some of the lands that you're going to have to fix, and and that might slow it down a little bit. But this might be a deck to to keep your eye out, uh, folks out there on Twitter can just go. There's a Channel Fireball uh, article linked on his Twitter somewhere, or you can just Google uh, Manguchi Bant Ramp Channel Fireball, and you'll find the link for that one. So that's a deck that I've been playing quite a bit, and I enjoy it uh, a lot. Surprisingly, it has really good game against Scapeshift because of the Deputy Detention, um, and there's a couple of uh, neat little sideboard options in there as well. We were talking about this earlier on the mic check, but maybe somebody out there can help us figure out why Vivian Arcbow Ranger is around, because it seems... Um, like not the best option out of the sideboard in a lot of these matchups. Yeah, uh, it, as it turns out, he went three and two, which is often good enough to make top eight, but just barely missed it on breakers. Uh, so the deck did perform well. Uh, me and Prepcoin were covering the Swiss and ended up watching a lot of Erlich's uh, matches, which is why I know how to say Erlich so well, um, because he speaks German and was able to help me out with that, which was nice. Um but yeah, Vivian, when he brought it in, just looked absolutely terrible all the time. Um, and like, it's possible that we just saw it in bad situations, but I saw him with hands that couldn't cast it. I saw it in play and just not doing anything. That was the only card I didn't like in this. The Hydras, I thought, were really cool. Because like, you're already ramping, and it basically gives you a damage-based removal spell that leaves around a giant body afterwards. The Tristani was still cool. Like, let's not forget mass manipulation is still out there and something that people do. Uh, so there are still people that are looking to take your things. And in this case, they're just not able to do that. Even against Command the Dreadhorde, which is not, like, ubiquitous now, but it is out there. Yeah. So I, I don't think this is a bad deck, too. To be fair, a, a good bit of this one, like, there are pieces of it that are rotating that I think are pretty important pieces. But you could still play something like this post-rotation. Like, I don't think you're going to have an issue finding a deck that Nissa wants to be in. Well, honestly, though, like, what's rotating except for the uh, Llanowar Elves? I guess out of the, the sideboard? The Llanowar Elves is the big one, and then this one I think depends um, a little bit on some of the lands, but we'll mm. get the lands. Um, but I I think missing Llanowar Elves is kind of a big deal. Like, yeah, I'm curious to see, like, even if there's a, like, we might not get a, a one-mana dork. Like, that's pretty, not rare, but, like, it's, it's Elves and there's usually nothing else that we'll get in, mm-hmm. in the one-mana dork spot. So if we get you know, flooded with two drop mana dorks, are these ramp decks going to suffer all that much? What's what do you think of that? Like, is is there a ramp deck without a without a Llanowar Elf? There certainly will be. Whether or not it will be as good is the question, right? Because like we could be playing another two drop. Like Incubation Druid still exists and none of these lists are playing that. They're playing Leafkin Druid and they're playing Paradise Druid, which are fine cards. But if you just take out the Land of War Elves and replace them with Incubation Druids, this deck gets notably worse. Because, mm-hmm. like, part of what makes it terrifying is that you can have turn five, turn three turn Nissa. Three Nissa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just erasing that possibility from your good draw list, like, hurts this deck a little bit. Like, many of the games where you play it and you have the turn one Elf, it's like, oh my god, this deck's amazing. That's never happening again if we don't get a one-mana accelerant. And frankly, we haven't had one in a long time. This is not a normal thing. 
Uh, this was kind of a shout out since Dominaria was coming back, right? And it wouldn't surprise me to see that go away and us not have one. Well, we I thought we had it in M nineteen too, didn't we? Like, I thought yeah, we had it. It, like, it was we, in Dominaria and it was in in nineteen. In it, but still, like it's it's been a while since we had it in a standard. It feels like so. Yeah. All right. Well, it'll be interesting to see see here. So another deck you wanted to talk about was the Aristocrats deck. Uh, take us take us through that and, and how that one works. So I saw Ashley play in this on a Fandom Legends event, and then Ray, uh, who we have a command in my chat for exclamation point, Ray will return. Ray is way, Ray was right uh, because he often is. We're saying you should try out this deck, and it's actually pretty cool. And as I was looking at it, I realized it's it's also pretty dang close to rotation proof. Uh, so I, I think this is something I could encourage people to try out. Ashley got to Mythic with this. So, like, the deck's there, and I played it in some of my matches on the way to Mythic. I actually hit it with Esper, uh, but I think I spent about four hours playing this deck, and I was making progress with it. So if this is more your play style, you can get there. At its heart, it's a red-black aggro deck. Uh, looking to turn one Knight of the Ebon Legion, turn two Dread Horde Butcher, turn three whatever, the game's over. But it's got some cute combos with cards like Judith and Mayhem Devil. Mayhem Devil is obviously a lot of fun against Scapeshift because they usually kill themselves. Uh, Chandra Acolyte of Flame makes elemental creatures that you have to sacrifice, which will then trigger off of the Mayhem Devil. They'll get pumped by the Judith, although they don't trigger because that one's non-token, but they still get pumped when you send them in as two ones. Um, it can buy back cards, so your removal suite is Legion's End, two of Lightning Strike, and two of Disfigure, uh, and you're able to buy those back with the Chandra as well. Um... And then it's it's got some really difficult to deal with threats in Rekindling Phoenix as a three of and God Eternal Bantu as a two of, which is also nice because we're sacrificing things with either Judith or the Mayhem Devil that can trigger lethal all by itself. If it doesn't, it's a way to cycle through some lands. You'll draw some more. You'll get where you're going. And it plays Spawn of Mayhem as a four of, which was a mythic I'd kind of forgotten existed. Uh, but this deck can cast this as a 4-4 flyer on turn 3 pretty consistently. And that's a little bit terrifying. Um, and it starts ticking away from there and starting dealing damage to both players. So I've, I've been pretty happy with this list. You can find it on Ash Lizzle's Twitter. Um, you can find the list on the Phantom Legends event for two weeks ago where she played it there. And then, like I said, when I was picking at it, I noticed all that it's losing is two Lightning Strikes, four Dragon Skull Summits... And what was the other card? Oh, the three rekindling, rekindling phoenix. Rekindling phoenix. But we should. There should be something that fits in that spot. It won't be something that recurs. It won't be something that has that much value. But there's going to be something that fits in that four mana or five mana spot uh, if that's what you're looking for. There's a lot of things that can go there. I think so. I I think we should be able to find that type of creature somewhere in here. Like, did you? What did you find that was close to that for what you were doing? I put the uh, the Hellkite in the the three red red for the four four flying riot or three three flying riot, um, and when it had a plus one plus one counter, you could ping things. That's just because I wanted to play it, and I was ramping to that. I don't know if that goes in specifically the Aristocrats version, um, but I'm sure that we'll see something. Yeah, I'm I'm looking through and like even the Boar God is like a possible replacement too. Is just something that's difficult to deal with. It does cost one more, but like that's also depending that there's nothing in there. Um, I do think we'll get the lands, and I like Lightning Strike could very well be printed in that, but you'll have some sort of two mana red burn spell that you can put in this deck to function it too. So I, I think this is actually a list that's going to survive rotation. Interesting. I'm, 
thinking about it, so we didn't get the the red black temple in this version uh, in this format, but it would stand to reason that we should probably get a red black dual land in the next set in some capacity, whether that be a temple or something else, because I don't think we go very long without getting you know, the opposite. Like if we got ally lands in one set, we usually get enemy lands in the next set, or at least in some kind of close proximity to the set. So yeah, interesting to see if we get that. Okay. And I think this deck would actually be happy with, uh, like we could lose the dragon skull summit, play two more basics and maybe two temples and be pretty happy. Cause it could do something like scry you closer to your bond to or boar God. If you end up playing that. And I do think the deck would be interested in the boar God, um, maybe to sneak in a Bantu and sacrifice something, that'd be pretty cool. Interesting. Interesting. That that deck sounds very threat-dense, because yep. you, you talked about it, uh, what was it, the Spawn of Mayhem is the 4-4 the four, four flying trample. Mm-hmm. But, you know, me as a control player, I have to deal with Judith, I have to deal with Mayhem Devil, I, I might not have the cards to deal with all of those. So you're going to stick something that matters, it sounds like, um, you know, barring like a Kai's Wrath or something like that, but that's always the case. Yeah, and it, it had some resiliency to Wrath if you're playing around it, uh, because the Chandra is making creatures that are coming in over and over, and it does play that as a three of, so like you usually find one of those, and it had a six mana Chandra in the sideboard, uh, which would I would often bring in against control. You could probably build a land heavier version of this deck that was interested in main decking the Chandra. So I'd, I think there's some design space for a brewer or a builder in this area, and like this list is playing a bunch of three ofs. I still don't think it's quite optimized. It mm-hmm. looked like I've got a lot of cards that I want to play that I think are good. And I'm not sure which ones are perfect. Like if those lightning strikes just turn into four of disfigures, that's probably fine. One of these episodes, we should do a uh, rotation hot take in that uh, cards that we predict will be very good after rotation with no real like science behind it or anything. <laughs> but like one of those cards, I think is the six mana Chandra. I think... I think it didn't really find its spot because counterspells kind of went the way of the dinosaur with the three drop to fairy. Mm-hmm. Um, and that it might be a while until, until we get any kind of counterspells that people are actually playing. But I really enjoyed playing that week where I was playing elemental ramp with mass manipulation and Chandra at the top end. And it was, it was performing very well, you know, as a board wipe, it would deal with vampires and things like that, but it relied on having that nut draw. So you could drop it on turn four um, but I'm really curious to see if six mana Chandra has a place in main decks after rotation, because I think it's a very good card. And I think it's a shame that with the vampires deck being out there, that the format is a little too fast to be able to play a six drop that wins you the game after a few turns. Yeah. Now, and to be fair, there will be another aggro deck, but vampires can have some real nutty draws. Uh, so yeah. maybe we won't see one quite that good. Experimental Frenzy and Steamkin will still be in this format, so do not discount Mono Red if you're just looking for something to start off with. Yeah, I think the problem with the Vampire's deck is the potential to draw a bunch of cards on turn three with the Soren. Yeah. Like, there's not, like, you can't really do that in Mono Red. You can't really do that in Mono White. Um, you could do it in Mono Red. It's fine. Not on turn three. No, I mean, you have to wait until turn four and be a reasonable human being. Exactly. So, like, but, like, vampires, their explosive starts also draw them cards. Whereas, like, an explosive yeah. start from, like, Mono White was, like, okay, I've put all my stuff on the board and I played a Venerated Loxodon. Do you have Kaya's Wrath? If not, I win. Yeah. Right? It's, like, flip the coin. Do you have it or not? Whereas with vampires, it's, like, okay, I went all in and I still have a handful of cards 
and an active planeswalker on the board. So it's kind of like and this three overkill. one you can never kill. And sorry, I'm an Esper player. It's frustrating. It's okay. You know what? And that's magic, right? Like the meta is constantly shifting. You know, vampires didn't look like it was very good, and then all of a sudden it was great, and now it's like five of the top sixteen decks in the mythic qualifier championship or mythic championship qualifier from the weekend. So let it enjoy its time in the sun. Same with scape shift. Same with dinosaurs. Like Marauding Raptor really turned that into a deck, and now they're all disappearing. Uh, Is there a dinosaurs build still after this? I I don't know. You'll have to see. I mean, unless we get like twelve dinosaurs in the next set, it's probably not very likely. I mean, Colossal Dreadmall will probably be reprinted. It always is. So, like, you could start there. You know, it's this is the longest it's been since we've had a Colossal Dreadmint, Dreadmaw reprint. I really miss it. Do you really? No. I want to see a Colossal Dreadmaw played in standard. In, like, that... a legit tier one standard deck. Just a 6-6 six, six trample for six because there's nothing else to play. <laughs> I doubt that'll ever happen. There should always be some rare... That's better than Colossal Dread Mall, but that would make me happy if Dinosaur Synergy is that strong. Maybe before this all rotates out, I'll have to play a copy of Jun Dinosaurs and put one in there. Just put one in? I mean, you can give it haste. Yeah, just so I can screen cap it and send it to you. It's got to be better than a Charging Monster Store. Yeah. Well, no. No. All right. Well, I've got to go pack for Vegas. Yeah. So I think we're going to wrap it up here. Yeah, that sounds like a good spot. All right. Uh, got to thank face to face games for the support and the host as usual. Thanks to our patrons for the support as well. Um, and thanks to you, dear listener for hanging out with us again this week, Travis, where can they catch you streaming next week? You can find me streaming mostly M20 limited this week at twitch.tv slash simulin. I am on Twitter under the same name, S E M U L I N. And I am not streaming this week cause I'm in Vegas but you can catch me at twitch.tv slash dcivilian. That's D-S-A-V-I-L-L-I-A-N. I am at Twitter the same. And uh, I've got one thing left to say, and that is see you, nerds, because I'm out. You will probably see a lot of nerds. I actually will. See you, see you there, nerds. <laughs> there you go. That's better. <laughs> have fun, Dave, and have All a right. safe trip. We'll catch you next time. All right. Adios.